All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? DJ Nubis with you on Metal Time Radio Podcast, episode 77 of the Hordes of Chaos. Man, I was going to try to get this out a couple of days ago. Um, well, I should say recorded a couple of days ago. You guys are getting it, the, you know, when I release it. So this is like, I'm actually at this point recording it like almost a week ahead of time. But it was kind of tough just trying to get some topics this time around. I don't know. It was... News has been really, like, lacking thereof. At least, like, I, I hate going into politics and all that because, I mean, I could spend all day on that shit, but it just, it's so draining and ridiculous and I get tired of politics and shit like that so much, so... That's why I generally try to keep everything around entertainment-related. Um, at least if we're going to argue about shit, let's argue about music and movies because that I can handle. <laughs> but, uh, so I, I did find some things to talk about. Um, got a, a movie review to talk about. I just saw last night. It was interesting. I'll get into that. Uh, a documentary I watched last night. I'll get into that. All that doc was like, although that documentary is like back in 2003, but it's still somewhat relevant to just things in general. So I'll, I'll talk about it when I get to it. But, uh, some movie news coming up I'm really excited about. I just read some more interesting tidbits on that. And then, of course, I'm going to revisit Master of Puppets by Metallica. I'm not playing any of the music today uh, from that record. If you've never heard that record, you're a dope, I just period. But I am going to go into length about it a little bit, uh, what that record means to me, what the band means to me, how I think it stacks up uh, even today. Uh, then I'm going to give you uh, a link to go to regarding different musicians who have commented on how that album affected them personally. So I'm going to qu- quote one person in particular, but 
there's a lot of different musicians that were talking about this and interviewed about that particular record. Um, some new music to get to. Uh, definitely got some Night Fighter coming up in the first block. What else we got going on here? Uh, new Avatar, Barbarity, Stillbirth. Uh, nothing in the way of new rock, So, we're, but we do have a nice little rock block for you. Uh, new Disembodied, Faceless Burial. Uh, then I got some classic stuff in there by At The Gates and Death and stuff like that. So a lot of goodies coming your way. And we're going to kick off this first block, though, with uh, brand new stuff from Onslaught. Uh, this is a band I, much like Sabat, I hadn't really paid much attention to growing up. So most of the stuff that I'm being uh, subjected to now with the new record and going back through their catalog, uh, I really like a lot. Uh, they're out of the U.K., I believe that's where they're from. Um, and they've been around for a while, but they have a new record coming out. If you haven't seen the video for Religious Suicide, uh, check it out. It's very good. They've been playing that for a while. Uh, I chose this track, though, for today. It's called Bow Down to the Clowns, Onslaught, and here we go. Lead to the 
This is Sky Nielsen Promotions. I offer the most affordable, effective, independent metal promotions one can find. If you've got a metal band, project, or art that you want promoted, simply search for Sky Nielsen Promotions. And you're listening to Hordes of Chaos on Metal Tavern Radio. She's in love with herself. Alright, DJ Nubus, back with you. Getting to our first topic of the day. And I'm going to revisit Metallica's Master of Puppets. And uh, kind of just give you a backstory with me and the record itself. I think I don't know if I've talked about it before, and I may have. You know, early to mid-80s, I was really starting to get into music in general. Um, my first actual album that I owned was something that was given to me uh, was Paradise Theater by Styx on vinyl and I still have that to this day and then uh, you know obviously as the 80s started to turn the corner with rock and everything uh, I first started out branching out with stuff like The Police, Synchronicity or Styx Kilroy was here uh, then, of course, you know, the hair rock and hard rock of the 80s started kicking off. I saw bands like Rail, Wasp, uh, Motley Crue, Van Halen, Def Leppard, Rat. All these things were, you know, all these bands were influencing me a lot in terms of where my direction and music was going. Uh, I about, I think it was about 84, 85, I took a chance with this guy. We were at school when I was actually at a boarding school and we were visiting the mall and we were checking out some music store there and you know we he knew a little bit about Slayer at the time I did not and we we went in together and bought Honey the Chapel uh, by Slayer and it didn't click with me it wasn't so much that I was bothered by the imagery or anything like that I mean Obviously, we were attending a Christian school, so there was this, like, you know, this, this sort of, like, guilt, I guess. Not so much for me, but just because here it is, I'm going to a Christian school. I, there's no way that I can allow this to be found by any of the deans or the teachers or anything. But the music didn't really click with me, so I just said, hey, dude, you can, you can keep this. I, I don't, I'm not really into it. And he's like, okay. Um... But, I think, yeah, that was my first taste of, like, basically thrash, and I just wasn't that impressed. And now, of course, now if I go back, I can appreciate that record so much more than I ever did, but at the time, it was like I was still into the whole hard and glam rock shit and all that stuff. And then, I think one summer, I was working with a friend of mine, tearing down this old pizza parlor place in Colorado, and... There's these two older guys there, and, you know, obviously they were in the heavy music. They had the long hair and whatnot, and and then we started up conversations with them. You know, because at the time I'm probably playing Rat or something on my, my Walkman. Uh, this guy, though, <clears throat> he was playing Master of Puppets. And he's like, well, check this shit out, dude. You know, and he's like, I said, do you want to hear the Rat? And he's like, no, nah, I'm not worried about them, but you can, you can check this out while we're working. I'm like, all right. And really, from the minute go, dude, I just was floored. Like, 
starting with battery and it just it went on and on I'm just like dude can I borrow this I want to make a copy of this like I didn't really have a lot of money so people want to smash me for making a dub of that they can I don't give a shit um, I don't have near the problem with downloading and stuff that some people do because Metallica basically made themselves off of tape trading through whether it's across the sea or whatever that's how they broke their name and everything else so I just it's too hypocritical for me to sit there and smash I do have a problem with people who take the music and then try to like get some sort of financial gain out of it I mean if you're out there taking this music reproducing copies and then selling it then you're a shitbag period um and really, especially at this day and age, like when I discover bands, whether it's through downloading or buying records or whatever, or through Bandcamp, I don't really listen to Spotify, but that's another outsource place. But when I discover bands I really like, I just start buying their shit. I don't do what I used to do. I used to go into record stores throughout the 90s uh, and just buy things without even really knowing what they sound like. Like I just took a gamble. Uh, so for me in this day and age, like I sold a lot of stuff that I just don't listen to, like CD wise. Uh, I probably had at one point close to 1500 CDs. I'm probably about down to about a thousand, maybe a little under that, that I, cause I sold a lot of it, uh, way cheaper than I ever put out for it. But, uh, you know, some people are still into collecting just anything and anything CD wise. So I don't have a problem with that part of it. Uh, but I'm more picky now. I just I hear so many bands, and there's there are a lot of good ones out there, but I only really put out my money for stuff that I know I'm going to listen to over and over again. It just makes no sense for me to buy something that's going to sit there and rot. Um, but anyway, back to you know Master Puppets. You know I also discovered Celtic Frost through those guys, but. Listening to Master of Puppets, man, it just it was a record that just totally blew me away, and it's easily still to this day probably a top five, top ten record for me in that range with no problem. And whenever I see the debates on social media about where it's, where it falls in their list or whether or not it holds up, like I get kind of shocked when people say it doesn't hold up, and I, I think that's kind of funny. Uh, because now I look back on Master Puppets and I have even a whole different view of it than I initially did. Like, back when I was young, teenager, it was just a lot of ferocity. But, dude, and, and this shows the impact of Burton, is that he influenced the way that album was written so much. So, so fucking much. Uh, there's progression in it. There's uh, acoustics in it. There's... Uh, melodic uh, riffs in it. I mean, there's just so much going on in that fucking record. And the funny thing is, we talked about this uh, in a couple episodes ago, about how there's no song under like five or six minutes on that record. But yet, if you listen to Master of Puppets uh, in its entirety, it, it just flows easily and seamlessly. It's insane. Uh... Then I come to find out that, you know, during this time I was at school, that, like, people who had actually gone out and seen these guys live at the time, they'd come back and they're like, 
Yeah, dude, we just saw, like, Metallica blow fucking Ozzy Osbourne off fucking stage. And this is, like, 86 or so, so Ozzy's already at the pinnacle of his popularity. So, <laughs> here it is, Master, you know, here it is, Metallica's just, like, shredding fucking people they're opening up for. And, uh, you know, that, that, it was just, like, a fearless record. Like, and people, you know, there's always going to be the debate about Kill 'Em All, uh, Ride the Lightning, both very good records. Like, I really... I used to, when talking about Metallica, I used to say, okay, I go to the Black Album because there's like maybe a couple of tracks on that record I like. And then I kind of say they just, they died after when they did Load. But now, like, I kind of just disregard the Black Album and I kind of disregard Injustice for All. And I know that's so sacrilegious for some people, but even on Injustice, like, there's only like two or three songs I like on that. Nothing really compares to me from Master of Puppets on to Kill Em All. So, like, those first three records are all fucking fantastic, but Master of Puppets is really the pinnacle. They're unicorn. And that's why when you hear, like, and this has been, there's this article on Billboard.com about musicians commenting on how that record affected them, but they all say the same thing. When you talk about a band in modern day, it doesn't matter who it is, uh, when you refer to an album that's really good from that band, you say it's, well, it's their master of puppets. <laughs> that's how you define it. Or even going to Slayer, say, well, it's their reign of blood. Like, there's always this moment for these bands where they put out these really good records and we're comparing it to what happened with Metallica. And this article that I'm talking about, you know, uh, there's just so many fucking things. And, and Devin Townsend, one of my favorite artists ever, had a uh, a little bit of a comment on it and here's a quote that's really pretty cool it says even the tonalities they chose intentional or otherwise were such a foreign and antagonistic quality that it stood alone in a sea of fancy inspired image centric heavy metal and i just love that quote uh and that's typical devon for you um but yeah obviously master puppets is one of those records that influenced him at the time and there's a lot of other uh, artists in there that make comments, so I'm not going to go through them all, but you can check it out on Billboard.com. Just search that plus Master of Puppets, and it should pop up. Um, I really disagree with people who say that Master of Puppets is dated, and I disagree with people who think that Kill Em All and Right of Lightning are better records. Uh, I don't care that if you disagree with my pick obviously but that's fine but when I think about you know it's Kill em All is cool because it's so raw but at the same time the songwriting is not near as I don't want to say polished because that's more like what they've got going on Master but I would just say that it's not as strong then as it was on Master. Master was like even compared to Ride the Lightning which has a lot of great tracks on it the songwriting just improved by that much more. It was like just so way ahead of its time. Ride of Lightning probably would be a little higher on my list if it was produced a little better. I did not like the production so much. I mean, it's got this grittiness and graininess about it that's sort of endearing. Uh, which is funny because between the three of them, they all have different things that they bring. Uh, and I love them for all those different things, but really, when it comes to Master of Puppets, it, it's really just a 
it has no flaws for me and it just like the first two records there's maybe you know one or two tracks on those albums that i don't really care for that much with master of puppets i love every single track um and that's crazy i mean not now i mean obviously we all have like a lot of favorite records these days that match up to our love from stuff like master or whatever but for me it's like wow there's just not a flawed song on here each one was taken and carefully constructed uh and the way it was presented and it's just amazing on so many levels so i don't know you can again as usual i say you know comments i don't care you can always comment on my facebook page when i post these things or even in the podcast itself they have comment sections if you have some input uh, i'm surprised more people don't comment and stuff like this but you know maybe they're just tired of you know talking about this kind of stuff i don't know uh, but I really, thinking back to that album, it, it really was just so beyond, like, anything that I can remember. And even more now than back then when I first heard it. Like, I just, it means so much more to me now than it, even then. Like, it's just weird uh, when I listen to that. Because I, I can constantly go back to that record and enjoy every single moment of it. And it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Alright, well, let's jump back into some music here. Uh, in this block, I've got some At The Gates, uh, Sludged. Also, we're going to kick it off some brand new Catharist, Epic Vanzu.
Calvin Clave and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Check this out. Alright, Dino Nubis back with you. Metal Tavern Radio episode 77, The Hordes of Chaos. So I checked out a movie last night that, I don't know if it was recently added or not, but uh, had some interesting uh, topic of uh, heavy metal, Satanism, all that kind of good shit. Uh, it's called We Summon the Darkness, and it's on Netflix. Has uh, the most notable name is uh, Johnny Knoxville uh, from the Jackass movie series and TV show from MTV way back when. Plays Pastor John Henry Butler. <laughs> Plays a pastor, which is pretty funny. But uh, he did a pretty good job in that role. It was short, but um, it also has um, Keenan Johnson of Alita, the guy that played Hugo, uh, Alexandria Daddario of Burying Your Ex. Uh, Amy Forsyth of Hellfest and A Christmas Horror Story, which Christmas Horror Story is fucking really good for those that haven't checked that out. Um, the movie itself has a decent plot twist and very, very good uh, performance by Daddario. Basically what you have is a trio of girls are uh, on their way to a heavy metal concert in the, basically which is the Bible Belt. Uh, and of course, you know, they're end up coming across three dudes like who had kind of annoyed them by throwing a milkshake on their car. Um, but they get to the concert, they go through the whole thing with, you know, finally working it out with the guys that were pissing them off and watch the concert together, enjoyed it. Then they uh, all end up going back to uh, the main girl, Daddario's character's house. And she clearly has money, her dad does. and So they're there, and they're kind of just, you know, the guys are kind of looking forward to, like, maybe getting laid. Uh, but the chicks, like, have other things in mind. So, uh, who knows? Uh, it's pretty crazy. Uh, a lot of different things going on. Uh, but certainly check it out. Uh, there is an interesting moment early in the film. Uh, apparently there's a soundtrack for this. Uh, done by somebody. I can't remember the guy's name. But, uh... There's one song they used in the movie that supposedly this band is singing. <laughs> uh, but obviously for those who were in the know and know metal music, know that that's not the band's music. Uh, they actually ended up playing Black Funeral by King Diamond, or Merciful Fate. And they passed it off as this other band. Now, it, it was probably done intentionally because they really didn't have any music they wanted to use. So they, they bought the rights to Fate's tune. Uh, but it's so easy to tell because you, you hear King Diamond's uh, voice and you're just like, no, this guy, whoever they got going on up there is not doing this. Uh, but it was kind of cool. That's one of the cooler moments while I hear Merciful Fate on there. Um, but the movie just takes like a, a hard left and goes into territories you just wouldn't expect. The thing for me is, I think I rate this movie about a six out of six, seven out of ten. There was so much potential for it, but it doesn't really strike gold where it should. Um, like I said, there's some decent enough performances in here to, to make it entertainable, but uh, overall, like, it just missed a mark for me in terms of like satisfying what I really wanted out of it. Um, 
I, I, I just find movies like Deathgasm a lot better. Um, stuff like that, or Trick or Treat from 86. You know, just those kind of hit home more than what we've got going on here. Um, but it's a worthy checkout just if you're into the uh, actors and actresses who are in it. And like I said, Dardario uh, is very, very good in this. Like, I was kind of, like, surprised. And, and really, I saw her in Burying the X with um, the girl green from Twilight and all that. Like, that's a good movie, too. So I wasn't, like, surprised by that aspect. But she just really kind of knocked it out of the park in this. So definitely check it out for that. Uh, I was looking up a review by Ebert, Roger Ebert, of course, going back to him, but he uh, he made a comment though, about the actual song that I was talking about, and I think he kind of missed. <laughs> he says a charged atmosphere at which to be attending a concert by soldiers or Satan. That's the the made-up band that's in the movie. Uh, then he quotes. Who supposed music heard for only a fleeting moment sounded pretty false metal to me. So so obviously Roger doesn't really know who the real Ars is in the band and like thought that like Merciful Fate is like fake, I guess. Like he didn't think that was really heavy metal. So that's kind of funny to me that he didn't really do his homework there with that. Uh but yeah, so he goes into a little bit of his own. He gave it kind of like probably about he gives like a one through five stars. He gave it a two, so um, it's if you were to do that versus my top, you know, my like one through ten, it's about average, about the same. But he probably butches it a lot more than I do. Uh, he says the subsequent plot twist serves something like a satiric purpose, and anyone who's actually surprised by the pivotal ones don't really know much about what reactionaries like to refer to as liberal Hollywood. So he, he goes in there with some different shit. Um, then he starts talking about lots of metal wonk dialogue with the dudes and chicks debating the merits of pre and post Dave Mustaine, Metallica. He goes into a lot of different things with this. So Roger Ebert, some of the darkest movie review. Just look it up. You'll, you can read through that a little bit. But um, don't read too much if you haven't seen the movie because like, you'll probably give some spoilers, which you don't want. Uh, definitely check it out. It's, it's an interesting flick. I, like I said, there's some good acting in it. Just, I kind of wish, I guess, the movie could have been fleshed out a little more. Uh, that would have done a lot better, I think, if they just kind of, like, extended it a little bit. Took their time with it. Um, but who knows what the budget they had to work with that. Nevertheless, kicking off the next block, some new laceratory perverse sickness. Should go hand in hand with We Summon the Darkness there.
Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Moss. Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> Right, we are back, back for more. Getting ready to jump into our rock block, as I said earlier. Nothing new to report, but I do have some classic stuff in here for you. Black Rainbows, Faithful Breath. Um, I don't know if I even played them before for you all, but they're a pretty interesting group uh, back in the 70s and whatnot, early 80s. Uh, Def Leppard, Stampede, and then I got They closing it out. Uh, very interesting band. They incorporate like a little bit of classic rock with alternative and almost like deathy growl. So it's very interesting. Uh, you'll check it out. Uh, kicking it off though. Uh, oh, about the last block of music that I played. Uh, the funny thing about that was looking back at the song titles from those bands. Uh, we played Lassatory, Disembodied Faces, Burial, but the song titles. <laughs> Kind of all going coincide with like my some of the darkness review, perverse sickness, dying devotion, and worship. That was not intentional, so I don't know if it just was something that clicked in my head at the time that I added uh, that segment in there. But uh, that was just kind of funny. Those song titles kind of fit all into that, so it's nice how that worked out. Uh, but we're gonna kick off our rock block here with some Junius, uh, very underrated. I don't really call them. They're kind of like alternative, but post-rock, modern rock. Um, very cool band. You need to check them out. Uh, this is off their... Um, God, what album was that? So I forget. My I, my memory's so fucking bad. However, this is the first song that I ever heard from, and I really dig it. Uh, it's called A Universe Without Stars. So here we go.
set the radio on the 217 Put my hands on the fader
Do you live life in the fast lane? Do you have the need for speed? Well, if you're a racing fan and want to be part of a winning team, then contact Carmichael Racing. Carmichael Racing is currently looking for sponsors for the upcoming champion flat card season. You could be a part of a long tradition of racing as Paul and Rhea L. race to the finish line in Mardella Speedway at Diamond Head Arena in Gillsburg, PA, March 13th through the 15th, 2020. They will also be racing at Hunterstown Speedway and Capital City Speedway in Ashland, Virginia. Racing runs deep in the blood at Carmichael Racing, and they are looking to gain sponsors for a new upcoming season. If interested, you can contact them at 443-202-3016. That's 443-202-3016. You can also find them on Facebook at SRChamp36. Carmichael Racing. Together you can soar as the engines roar.
accept the reality of the world with which we're presented. It's as simple as that. get into that dj nubis back with you mail time radio podcast episode 77 that was closing out the rock block with they from their 2018 release unspeakable that was one of my favorite records from that year that i actually discovered like really late 2018 in december so when i initially made my best of list that wasn't initially on it when i did my podcast for that but uh they are definitely on that list for that year. Uh, very good record. They do a lot of different things, as you can tell from Studio Gray, which is the song I chose. So, as I said earlier, uh, you know, I was trying to find topics to talk about in this episode, and some were hard to come by. So, I ended up coming across uh, this doc on uh, Midnight Pulp, which is an app on Roku, if you got it. And uh, it's a documentary called Something to Scream About, and it has like a lot of B-movie actresses involved, uh, obviously screen queens of that nature, even though some of them debate whether or not they're actually screen queens compared to, say, Jamie Lee Curtis or Dee Wallace from the 80s, early 80s, and different more mainstream horror movies. Uh, but the actresses involved in this um Doc are Julie Strain, Denise Duff, Judith O'Day, Debbie Roshan, Deborah DeLiso, Felisa Rose, uh, and they're all. And the movies they were all part of uh, consist of Sleepaway Camp, Tromeo and Juliet, Summer Party Massacre, Night of the Living Dead, Subspecies from Full Moon. Uh, Julie Strain herself was in a lot of various stuff, but one of the more notable things was she did the voice. For the woman in uh, the Heavy Metal 2000 uh, movie that was made, the animated movie. And uh, it's a pretty interesting dog. It's only about like an hour. Uh, unfortunately, with uh, Midnight Pub, they've got their own little ads and commercial breaks. So it took longer to get through than it should. But um, it was worth it. I mean, it was a little bit dated. I didn't realize how old it was when I was watching it. And I was looking it up. And 2003 is when it was made. Yeah, but the but a lot of the uh, points they make are really relevant even today. And there's a lot of discussions being had about, like, what, you know, how it was when they were filming it, what they were expecting, how they got the role. Sometimes it was just luck, uh, luck of the draw for them. 
I think in the case of um, Denise Duff, like, she was actually kind of like an intern during the time that they were auditioning. And uh, she uh, came in, did her thing, and then was getting ready to leave. And the director was basically like, yeah, can you uh, just come back <laughs> and uh, tomorrow and do this again? And, like, eventually she got the role in uh, the leads for those that series uh, for subspecies. And um, she did a pretty good job in that. I, I, subspecies in general, like, again, it's B-rated stuff, so it's not, like, top-quality horror, but it's enjoyable enough. I can't remember the lead actor's name that's in that, but uh, he does a very good job as well. Um, so, yeah, a lot of these actresses, you know, they all have different takes on, like, how they feel about what they do and where they are uh, in terms of how they're moving on, like, not only in their careers, but how it meant, what it meant to them when they were actually doing the films. Like, you listen to Denise Duff or Debbie Roshan and even Julie Strain. Julie's kind of like to the point now where she's kind of retired. She's made enough money, but uh, she still uses, she still goes to all the Comic Con, same with a lot of them for this. That's one thing they live for. But Denise Duff and Roshan, you know, they're very passionate about continuing to work. Like, I looked at Debbie Roshan's uh, IMDb, and she's got tons of fucking movies, stuff that she's just never heard of. But one of the things they point out is how much they enjoy the work. And for Debbie, it was a little bit more personal because it was able, she was able to overcome some of the darkest parts of her, her life early on and get breaks with uh, Lloyd Kaufman and, and Tromeo... Uh, production company you know when he had she did like Tromeo and Juliet and you know was I think she's in Terra Firma as well then you have women like Felisa Rose who is like her most notable I guess notable role is uh Angela from Sleepaway Camp and that's like a legendary horror movie from the 80s uh with one particular scene in mind if you've never seen it but you should definitely check it out. The series itself is good, but she uh, she's done a few other things. But I think her like she goes to these comic cons and she just she enjoys talking about Sleepaway Camp and what it means to a lot of the fans. Like she's one of those people that has no problem living off of that. Like that's her thing. That's what she's known for. And uh, you know, it's not that the other actresses don't appreciate what they were doing, but. I don't know if they quite hold it up as in regards as Rose does. Now, Felisa, she also was, uh, she has, like, a tie-in with Joe Bob's Brig and a drive-in, so call in. Like, there's, <laughs> I forget what Joe Bob calls it, but it's, like, whenever there's, like, a scene with a penis, like, she's the one that calls in and says she rates it, you know, like, 1 through 10 or whatever, and gives her commentary, which is pretty hilarious. So I, I think that's a lot of fun for her to do that as well. Uh, probably the most odd interview in it, and even though it's it's odd, it's still fun to watch, is Judith O'Day. She plays the lead uh, woman in the original Night of the Living Dead from George Romero. Uh, you know, they're coming to get you, Barbara. Like, she's the lead in that. And, you know, she's much older now, obviously, but at the time, like, she was saying that how important that role is and how fun it was but I think 
when I watch her interviews and how she describes, like, she, I, I disagree with her, and many of the actresses disagree with her in this, is that she kind of feels like the violence ties into a lot of what goes on today. Uh, but, I, I, you know, I've learned myself when watching horror films, and I hear the actresses like Debbie Roshan and uh, Felisa Rose, they all kind of say the same thing I do, and that's basically uh, real life you have to be able to tell real life from the fake stuff. And if you, I think Deliso said it best was, if there's somebody out there that's going to do harm to people in real life, they're already they're already sick in the head. Like, horror movies are just something that people want to attach to that person or heavy metal music or, you know, whatever it is. They want to try to attach someone as to place blame as why that person's, like, not well. But the reality is, it really is just them. It's a problem with them. There's many people who listen to heavy metal music or watch horror movies that aren't out there slaughtering people left and right. Like it, it, The percentage of people that end up doing that are so fucking small that it really has nothing to do with like the horror thing and everything else. But uh, Judith O'Day, like, she kind of like... Like, her people, like, she started out doing, like, Broadway and stage stuff. So she was doing musicals and more lighthearted stuff. So when it became to doing uh, Night of the Living Dead, it was, like, a lot different for her. But she enjoyed it and enjoyed the actors that she worked with. But she said that a lot of people in her own circle, like, was really, I don't know, I don't want to say disappointed, but they, it just caught them off guard, and she, I don't know, I think it kind of affected her in a way that people maybe didn't look at her the same or something about it. I mean, I could have picked up the wrong vibe on in her interview. I mean, she was very cheerful about everything that she was talking about, but she definitely holds a different viewpoint than some of these other actresses within this doc when it comes to talking about what it means and how horror has affected people and fans alike, you know. So it's an interesting doc. It's only about an hour. I wish they kind of would have dug a little deeper. It has a little bit of clips here and there that people can check out. But uh, a lot of fun. Uh, a lot of uh, personal experiences. Um, it, it actually was fun to look at. I mean, it, it's not something that's in-depth. A lot of the times when I look at documentaries, I wish they would just do what they did with Crystal Lake Memories and just make them, like, four to six hours long. Just dive in give no fucks and just dig the fuck out of these things and just make it worth everybody's time, you know what I mean? But uh, it's a lot of fun. Check it out. It's called Something to Scream About. It's on Midnight Pulp. It's a free app, but like I said, it's got ads and so you may end up draw dragging it out to like an hour and a half or whatever it was, but it's fun. Check it out. Alright, our next block. A couple new stuff. One from Metal Message. Uh, Bendita. Hunt the Hunter. I got that in there. Classic Sanctuary, but we're going to carry out a brand new avatar. This is called Wormhole.
looking for a place to take care of all your automotive needs? Then get in touch with Stauffer's Auto Service in Millersville, Maryland. Stauffer's takes care of all auto repairs, auto service, and great quality parts as well. Stauffer's is located at A328 Veterans Highway, Suite E in Millersville. Be sure to call and check out all their service specials related to your automotive needs. Stauffer's is professional, friendly, and has highly qualified mechanics to do excellent work with prices that are fair and much better than what you would find at other automotive places. So call 410-729-0121. That's 410-729-0121. And tell them the newsman and his trusty sidekick, Neko, sent you Alright, so I was perusing the web, came across an article on movieweb.com, and I talked about this a few episodes back about the Mortal Kombat reboot, and this article kind of goes in a little bit more depth with it. Um, it definitely is going forward. I think they said they finished up, at least in terms of setting up the cast and everything, in December, so... I think they said maybe in January of next year we'll get our first Mortal Kombat reboot. And reading the article, like it talks about how actually it's bigger. It's going to be bigger than what we initially thought. It's going to be. It's going to have its own universe, much like Marvel or Godzilla. Uh, so we're going to have more uh, Mortal Kombat movies affecting each other, which is really really cool. And if they do it like Marvel. Where you can have like your standalone character movies added in, that would be fucking fantastic. Uh, the other great thing is the directors and producers have said that they're promising that the fatalities will be included, so they're not going to be. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming one of their influences is the Deadpool stuff, so I'm, I'm assuming that they're not worrying about Kitty scene. It's like it's going to be an R rated flick. And I think. When I look back to the first attempt at this with 1995 Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation a year or two later, uh, that was one of the things that I think they were scared of. Like, it, it, there's always this fear that, oh, it's a game, we can't make it gory because kids are going to see this or want to see this. And the thing is, you're never going to stop kids from seeing movies anyway. I think that's the biggest joke on everybody is that everyone thinks that... My parents used to tell me all the time, well, you're not going to watch any R-rated movies. Well, guess what? When you weren't looking, I was watching R-rated movies. So the point is, it's going to fucking happen. Now, when it comes to the theaters itself, yeah, they can check IDs. That's fine. But the reality is, if you're going to do game movies, especially like Mortal Kombat, you got to make them right. you got to make them to where... The whole point of Mortal Kombat was the fatalities. Like, anyone saying it was just anything else is fucking lying. The fatalities are where it was at. That was what made it fun. That was the crazy shit about it. So, but with the first two movies, like, I enjoyed the first Mortal Kombat just for uh, a campy part of me. Uh, mainly because that was the first time they attempted it. And I admit that, I'm sort of I heard like love hate thing with it because I love Christopher Lambert from Highlander and stuff like that who played Raiden, but Raiden is an Asian or Raiden is Asian, but Lambert is not. And then of course in Annihilation, uh, Lambert wasn't in it. They got uh, James Ramar, 
who also is white, you know, <laughs> like he's not Asian. So it was really hard for me to like handle it from that perspective. Like I'm like, it's like at the time, the the movie play, you know, the the ones making the movie thought that like Mortal Kombat fans were dumb or something. Like we didn't, we couldn't understand. Like they thought that we would not be able to handle Asian actors' hands. And the funny thing is, they had other roles. Shang Tsung, uh, you know, was played by Tagawa and Robert Shaw, Robin Shaw, who was in, I believe, uh, he was in some other more uh, martial arts movies I had seen in the past. But he played Liu Kang, and like, you you had them in there, but then they would go and like, you know, Shao Kahn from Annihilation, he was played by Brian Thompson from, I believe, uh, Cobra was one of his main roles, the, the villain in that, but, well, he was in Lionheart, too, as one of the heavies in that, but anyway, the mistake they made the first time around was, one, they just, they avoided fatalities, uh, two, storylines were not really fleshed out, you just, you kind of threw shit together, uh, and tried to get as bit, many big names in as you could, uh, American names too, which hurt, uh, I think, a lot of ways. Uh, which, you know, you could say some of it was based upon racial aspects, and I don't think that's really the brunt of it. I think they were really trying to sell the idea that they wanted to get people into the theaters, and and guy like Lambert or Lyndon Ashby would bring them in, or Bridget Wilson, etc., playing Sonya. Uh, but Again, they try to treat like the gaming fan base as idiots. Like we we wouldn't have cared if they had gotten Asian actors to fill those roles. That would have been fine. Uh, I would have been more than fine with that. But here we go into the reboot, and they've already listed some of the cast members uh, for some of the the characters. I'm just gonna list like two or three that I really like, just in general as far as characters plus the actors. Um, so, first thing is, my favorite character, obviously, from Mortal Kombat is Sub-Zero. Uh, Joe Taslim is going to be playing, portraying that character. He's been in a few things. Uh, Fast and the Furious 6, The Raid, as Jaka, The Night Comes for Us. So, if you've not seen those films, uh, check them out. He's very good in them. He knows what he's fucking doing. Uh, I'm really excited about that part of it. Um, also, unfamiliar with Jessica McNamee. Uh, she's going to be playing Sonya and I'm trying to see what she's been in she was in the Meg as Lori that's probably the most notable one that I know of there's some other movies in there but none of them that I've even heard of so she's very low key on that aspect uh, another big name this time we're replacing an American version of Raiden with a guy who's actually Asian uh, and a very good one and um, I'm, I'm pronouncing his name Tadan Abu Asano and I'm probably butchering it, I'm sorry uh, he's been in a lot of shit though uh, Itchy the Killer he played uh, Kakehari in that uh, Zatotochi uh, he also played Hogan in the Marvel Cinema. He was uh, one of um, Thor's right-hand guys in the group, if you remember him. 47 Ronin. Uh, actually, he is also Captain Yugi Nagata in Battleship. I know a lot of people hate that movie. That's one of those, like, uh, 
movies that I can't, it's sort of like, uh, I don't know what I want to call it, just, I, I love watching it, like, it's not the greatest movie on the planet, but it's fun to watch, it's like, it's like, uh, Airborne, I always go back to these, uh, as secret loves, because they're just entertaining, dumb entertainment really is what it is, and he was in that, uh, he was also in Midway, the recent movie, I have not seen that, but, uh, I'm excited for him to play Raiden, uh, the idea behind all this now is that the directors are going to flesh out these characters, make the storylines stronger, which is good. Uh, so I'm really excited about this. I hope it goes through with no hiccups. Um, obviously, just like the Marvel and stuff like that, I hope they keep all the actors and actresses in place. Uh, I hope, yeah, I hope it works out. Like I'm really excited about that. Uh, with the new additions, so hopefully they do have people for Jax. I, I'm not going to get into all that. So uh, it's on. Uh, what did I say? Movie, MovieWeb.com. So if you just search Mortal Kombat 2021, it will come up, and you can read through it. Uh, they've got Makad Brooks as Jax, Sissy Stringer as Melina, um, Chen Han as Sing Song. Uh, Josh Lawson is Kano, so I, I don't know what the rest of the cast is going to look like yet, but uh, just it looks so much better just on paper than what we had in the past, so I'm really excited for all that. All right, kicking off our next block, uh, so a track sent to me by Quabar PR. Uh, band's called Sverderna. I hope I pronounced that right. Folkets Blood, I believe it's all black metal, black death. Here we go. Enjoy.
Fresh Metal Band Pop Your Face from Russia and you are listening to Metal Tavern Radio.
Alright, brand new stuff from Stillbirth, Revive the Throne. DJ Nubis. Metal Time Radio Podcast, episode 77 of the Hordes of Chaos, getting ready to come to a close. Hope you all enjoyed it. I try very hard every week to give you some of the best music that's out there. Uh, Love to try to get more classic stuff in, but there's so much new music out there that I do my best to try to get everybody some ample airtime and whatnot. So I I do the best I can. Hopefully it's good enough. Uh, We're going to close it out, though, with the classic from Death. I was listening to this the other day and thought, you know, this would be great to close out a show with this. Hope you all enjoyed. Special thanks to Krypton Scully, Metal Mania, Sky Nielsen Promotions, all the lo- uh, promotional labels and sites that I work with that send me new music every week. I appreciate it greatly. Here we go. Have a great weekend. This is Death, Suicide Machine. <laughs>